Welcome to Odds and Ends with Mike Tice, and this is the 11th week of the National Football League's 100th anniversary season. Really exciting lineup of games we have, finishing up Sunday night with the Bears at the Rams, and the Chiefs on Monday night go to the Chargers, Patriots and Eagles, what a game, I'm going to have my eye on that one, Houston traveling to the Ravens, and a couple of other good games, the Cowboys at the Lions should be a good contest, and I've got my eye on that Jaguars at the Colts game as well. There are some teams that have a bye. There's only two weeks left of the bye weekends, and we'll get back to a full slate of 16 games for the remainder of the season. The Packers, 8-2, and two, uh, are on a bye this week. Winners, winners over the Panthers last week, 24-16. to 16. The Giants are 2-8. and eight. Uh, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, the youth, excuse me, the youth movement there in New York, and the Seahawks coming off that big win on Monday night against the 49ers, handing the 49ers their first loss, eight and two, winners of two overtime games in a row behind Russell Wilson. The Titans, what a big win last week over the Kansas City Chiefs, who had a few special teams issues. Their fighters, like their head coaches like their head coach is Mike Vrabel, and they are triers, and I like the Titans. I've talked about them on the show before. So when we come back, I'll have my first guest. It'll be fullback C.J. Ham of the Minnesota Vikings. We'll be right back with more of Odds and Ends with Mike Tice. I got the horse right here. The name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the weather is clear, can do, can do. This guy says the horse can do. Well, welcome back to Odds and Ends with Mike Tice. And my next guest, another Minnesota Viking from Duluth, Minnesota, Denfield High School, C.J. Ham, fullback number 30 in his fourth season. C.J., how's it going? How's the week going? Uh, I'm doing well, man. Can't complain. Um, it's another week. It's cold, but, uh, you know, that's, that, that's what I'm used to. Yeah, it's cold, but you guys have an indoor practice facility, don't you? Uh, 100%. Yeah, and then you went to Augustana in South Dakota. So like you said, you know about the cold a little bit. Hey, been, been about it my whole life. <laughs> yeah, and so I was blessed to uh, coach Corbin Messina. Uh, he was an offensive lineman that went to Augustana. And also from Edina High School, where my kids graduated, Carl Mecklenburg, who had a tremendous career. I played against Carl. He was with the Denver Broncos. Played against him multiple times. He's also an Augustana graduate. So uh, some good football players coming out of Augustana, huh? Oh yeah, we got we got a handful. I I, I know I know Corbin. I've, I've met I've met him a handful of times, and his son at Augustana is doing doing great things right now as well. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So uh, I didn't even realize he had a son there. Denfield High School in Duluth. You were born in Chicago. When did you move to the Duluth for the fans? Uh, when I was a, when I was an infant. Oh, I, I okay. was probably one, probably one year, one years old. So I, I definitely can't really claim that I'm from Chicago. I'm, I'm, I'm more, I'm more from Minnesota than I am from Chicago. Okay, good. Well, that's good. That makes me my next question a, a really good one. How does it feel to play for? Hopefully, you're going to say you rooted for the Vikings growing up. How does it feel? To, how does it feel to play for a team that, uh, like I said, hopefully was your team that you followed growing up? Yeah, it, it, it definitely was. You know, I as a, as a kid, I follow I followed a lot of teams. You know, I, mm-hmm. I like players. But the Vikings were always like the team that that I followed, mm-hmm. you know, especially watching you know Randy Moss and Chris Carter, you know, all all those guys. But to be on a team where I'm so close to my family has truly been a blessing to be able to like yes. to share this like experience with them. 
I understand exactly how that feels. I grew up in New York. I was uh, raised a Giant fan, but the the player that I followed growing up was Joe Namath, and he was a Jet. And uh, gotcha. my whole family rooted for the Giants, but I rooted for the Giants, but I rooted for Joe Namath too. I'm, I loved the white shoes. So, so you, you're, you're like myself. I was a, a, a blocking tight end, a converted quarterback, undrafted. I didn't have the stats. You don't have the stats. You have, you know, you have eight catches, 51 yards, you two carries. You had your first touchdown against the Lions a few weeks ago on a little, a little flat pass out there. Those are the kind of touchdowns I would catch. And, uh, and you had a couple catches uh, uh, last a couple weeks ago against the Chiefs, one, one of which was real nice. So you're involved in the passing game a little bit, not so much in the run game. Of course, you got the really good running back and cook. Uh, how does it feel to get all of the hard jobs, if you will, all of the physical jobs? How does that feel, and how rewarding is it when, when Cook breaks off a big run? Yeah, um, I mean, playing a fullback position, you know that you know your job, your main job is to is to block. You know, every once in a while you might catch a ball or get a fullback dive, um, kind of throwing you a bone there. But I, I you know, my, my main job is to protect and to block. And, you know, it's, it's fun. It's, it's obviously um, a job that's not flashy, mm-hmm. uh, as, as we all know, but it's the respect that you get from your teammates and having a running back like Dalvin who's being so successful mm-hmm. just to be a part of his success, um, it, it definitely makes it feel more, more rewarding. Yeah, and tell me how re- re- rewarding, excuse me, it feels when you win a big game too, huh? <laughs> oh, 100%, oh, man. That was some win against the Cowboys, huh? Are you kidding me? Uh, it, it was. It was. It was a great team win, and uh, you know we we know what that feels like, and we got to continue to have that success. Yeah, yeah. And a big another big challenge this week against the Broncos, who are uh, coming off a bye, which is always dangerous. Kennedy Pola changed his name back to his family roots, Pola Mala. Kennedy uh, is a dear friend of mine. We worked together in Jacksonville. <laughs> if not the best, one of the best running back coaches I've been around. Tell us what it means to have a coach like Kennedy that has played the position, being a short-necked fullback himself at USC. What does it mean to have a guy like Kennedy working with you? Um, it, means, it means a lot. Uh, coach, coach KP, has, I mean, he's, he's a great coach. We all, we, all know, we all know he is. And just to have him have the knowledge that he has and teaching us um, – you know more than just our position, just but just about about football itself. About football it really helped really helped us all like grow. Mm-hmm. You know, in our life, in our lives, and also on the field. Yeah, I agree with that. And he is an excellent football coach, and he does teach his players because I've been around them not only about football, but what it takes to be a good player and a good teammate and a good man on top of all of that. I think it's uh, you're very blessed to have a coach like Kennedy Pola or Polamalo uh, working with you. So let's true, truly, yeah. yeah, let's talk about the Broncos a little bit. I know it's uh, it's uh, Thursday and you've had a chance to watch the tape. You've had a chance to get most of the game plan in, if not all of it. Talk about some of the players you're going to match up against, and I'm guessing you're going to name names like Alexander Johnson, inside linebacker, Todd Davis, and, of course, the strong safety, Jordan. Uh, tell us a little bit about those players as you see them on tape. I mean, like you said, you, you, you just said the names. Uh, those guys have shown you know, each week that, you know, they, that they deserve to be talked about as a, 
as individuals and as a defensive unit. I mean, they're 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 a good defense. I think they're ranked number four, uh, fourth in the whole NFL. So it's, we we definitely have a test ahead of us. And uh, we're definitely not overlooking them at all. No, you cannot. Uh, they've had some offensive struggles, as you know, but that has nothing to do with what you guys have to accomplish on offense this week to get another victory. Tell me if they're missing anybody, any game records that coaches have pointed out. And uh, after you tell me that, I want you to let me know what your, and for the fans, what your uh, contribution is for the Vikings on special teams. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, uh, Von Miller is always, yeah. always uh, a target. He's he's one of the best players in the whole NFL, and mm-hmm. we got to make sure we take care of him. Yeah. Um, but to, to answer your question on special teams, is you know, special teams I feel is really what helped me make the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a handful of years ago, and uh, coming coming from college, I didn't do any special teams, so it was definitely new to me. But um, I love it, and I, I'm, I've been on every single phase for the last couple of years, and mm-hmm. it's 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 super exciting. Yeah, yeah. You're a four team special team guy, huh? Yes, yes, sir. Yeah, that's good. That's that's uh, that's a good way to stay in the league. I tell you. Hey, well, that's it. The more you can do, right? Yeah, you got that right. So, listen. I know it's Thursday. I know you're busy. I really enjoy watching you play. Uh, I'm going to enjoy watching you play this week against the Broncos. I don't miss a Vikings game. Uh, have a great rest of the week of preparation. Say hi to KP for me, and uh, I'll holler at you down the road, huh? Uh, sounds good, man. I appreciate you having me. All right, CJ. Have a great day. Well, welcome back to Odds and Ends with Mike Tice, and I'm really excited to have on my next guest. Well, last seen at uh, Tampa Bay as a defensive coordinator, worked with him at Jacksonville under Jack Del Rio when uh, this young man was the offensive, uh, defensive coordinator of the Jaguars, former head coach, former head coach and NFL AP coach of the year in 2008, Coach Mike Smith. Michael, how you doing this morning? I'm doing wonderful, and then you notice I said young man because you and I are both 60 this year. I think I'm a little older than you, and you were 60 this year, correct? I am correct. Absolutely. Yeah. 60 years young, man, as you know, right? I I knew we were the same age. (laughs) I know you're trying to stay busy. I know you have some things going on. Before we get into any football, tell us a little bit, tell the fans a little bit about what Mike Smith has going on right now. Well, Mike doing a lot of fishing uh, a couple days a week doing some angling uh, up here in the mountains of uh, East Tennessee. Nice. And uh, my golf game's getting pretty good. Okay. So we're, uh, we're, we're trying to get two or three rounds in and then spending time with my best friend, my wife, Julie. So uh, we've got a couple projects that, we've, uh, that we're working on. Uh, as you know, Mike, I did a book with John Gordon, and we're planning on doing, uh, doing another one. Nice. And so it should be something that uh, – Hopefully, we'll be as successful as you went in the locker room first. Well, that's great. Tell, talk about uh, the upcoming book, if you can, if you can give the fans a little bit of a, a pre precursor to this book. Tell us, fans, a little bit about that. And I know the first book you guys did together, very successful. Talk about both of those. Okay, well, yeah, the, you know, the first book was You Went in the Locker Room First, The mm-hmm. Seven Seas to Successful Leadership in Business, Life, and Sports. And uh, it made the... Wall Street Journal's bestseller list, mm-hmm. and John is uh, 
such a great guy. Uh, you, you know John from our time in Jacksonville. Yep. Uh, he spent time with us in Atlanta, and we've uh, you know we've got a couple of projects that we're that we're working working on, and the premise of the, the next book is going to be about being a good teammate. There's mm-hmm. so many books that have been written about leadership yes. uh, and how to be a good leader, but they don't ever talk about how to be a good teammate. Mm-hmm. And we've got to have good teammates to be a successful organization or a successful team. So that's the premise of it. I'm looking forward to getting that thing wrapped up here. Yeah, no, I'm excited. That, that'll be a good read. And uh, I know that uh, your brother-in-law, Brian Billick, has uh, written a number of books. In fact, if fans tune into my YouTube show on the weekends, you can see behind me a couple of Coach Billick's books, and I'm talking about Brian Billick, the Super Bowl winning head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, and let's start with that. Let's start with your time at the Ravens uh, when you guys had that great defense. Uh, just talk about how that really molded you as an NFL coach. I know you, your career, you've worked your way up the ladder, up the ladder, up the ladder, up the ladder, and I think Really, your first big break was with the Baltimore Ravens as linebacker. We finished up as linebacker coach, I believe, or was that Del Rio was linebacker coach and you were defensive coach? That's right. Uh, you know, in having the opportunity to work with uh, the Baltimore Ravens and that staff mm-hmm. uh, that Brian put together was just unbelievable. And I know you had worked with uh, Brian the year prior to there in Minnesota in the great season that you guys had. Uh, offensively, to me, which is probably one of the greatest seasons of an offensive football team that they ever had. But having an opportunity to work with with Brian Billick in the way, as you know, he is organized and he lets everybody be a part of the process, uh, it helps coaches. And on that coaching staff, we had Marvin Lewis, mm-hmm. Rex Ryan, mm-hmm. Jack Del Rio, yep. myself mm-hmm. on that defensive staff. And you can just imagine, Mike, what the staff meetings were like oh my god Uh, that's some that's some strong opinions and it was probably football wise and professionally for me to be around those guys uh and to be part of those scrimmages that we'd have in the in the office oh my god probably the best thing that happened to me helped me as a coach helped me as a man helped me as a father yes and i know working with brian in minnesota when we had that team that you alluded to the 15 and 1 1998 team uh, those conversations, but the, I was the offensive line coach back then between Brian and I and the staff and trying to formulate a game plan. There were a lot of wars, and uh, and I think that's healthy for a staff. And then when the wars were over, you would come out of the room and say, okay, this is what the Minnesota Vikings are doing this week, and that is the key. That is the key. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. You've got to come to a consensus, and it's so important when you're putting a game plan together, as you know, Mike, you, hey, we've got to get all the ideas because Brian, Brian, and most staffs that that you're involved with, and his staff especially, had a lot of talented guys uh, there in you know there in Minnesota on the defensive side. You had you know you had Foge and uh, it's and, and of course Denny, and I think Tony Denny gets, should get a lot of credit too because Denny was with Brian and had Brian in Stanford. And it goes all the way back to you know to Bill Walsh. So uh, it comes from a great tree, and Brian's tree was you know was fantastic in terms of the guys that he was able to help, mentor, and get opportunities to coach in the NFL. Right, and I chatted with him via uh, t- 
text the other day. He was inducted into the Ring of Honor, or the, they call it the Circle of Honor, in Baltimore a number of weeks ago, and I know you did attend, I believe. Yes, I did, and it was a great, uh, you know, a great thing for Brian and his family. Uh, I think it brings some closure to his time there in, in Baltimore with the success that that he had and, and what he was able to do as the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens. And it was fantastic to see all the old players mm-hmm. that were on that 2000 Super Bowl team that came back to, to be there when Brian was being inducted. It was a great weekend, not only for Brian and his family, but for uh, – guys that haven't seen each other in a long time as you know mike we've got real good relationships with our you know with our teammates but sometimes as the years go on we kind of lose touch and yeah. things like that bring them back together it was so good for brian and it was really enjoyable for me to see all those guys that uh, were part of that uh, 2000 super bowl team yeah that's really cool i mean i've noticed the same thing here moving back to seattle uh, going playing in a couple charity golf tournaments and seeing old teammates at these tournaments that I haven't uh, seen in many, many years and just talking about the stories. The stories change a little bit, and, and guys like me that are really career backups tend to have a little bit better career when you hear the the old players talk about it. You seem to get better as you get older. But uh, I don't ever I don't ever remember being a really good pass catching tight end, but but listening to my old teammates talk, boy, I was one hell of a receiver. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Mike, hey, you're like fine wine. You get better with age, that's right? right? You got that right. You got that yeah. right. Well, I'm we're we're blessed to be talking with Sporting News NFL coach of the year 2008 2010, 2012 of those Atlanta Falcons, Coach Mike Smith, and you did talk a little bit about, and I did the Minnesota Vikings in 98, you talked a little bit about your Raven team, the great Raven team, Super Bowl winning team of 2000. Why don't we segue over and let me pick your brain and for the fans, just coming from you, not any any article or anything like that, give us your top three offensive teams of all time as Coach Mike Smith sees it? Well, uh, this is always up for debate, and it's, and it's always a great conversation for football fans. But I think when you talk about offenses, you've got to talk about that Vikings team as the number one team. Hmm. Uh, it's all about scoring points on offense and keeping people out of the end zone. And nobody did it better, Mike, than that group that you had and you were part of. Uh, with the 98 Vikings. I think, if I'm not mistaken, you guys still hold the record for the most points in a season. You were you were loaded up front, and I want to say this because when we talk about the top three offensive teams, probably the one thing that carried over to all three teams is the offensive line. And I want to talk about those big guys up front that you coached. They were, you know, there were some great, great players. You know, the late Corey Stringer, you know, Matt Burke, Randall McDaniel, David Dixon, Todd Stucey, Jeff Christie. I mean, that was a group of offensive linemen. And everybody talks about Randy Moss and Robert Smith and what they were able to do, but none of that would have happened if it wasn't for those guys up front. And so I wanted to give them a little plug. Uh, You know, that was an unbelievable offense. And really, when you think about it, that offense was uh, ahead of its time. Randall Cunningham was a quarterback for most of the season, and then he was really the pre, pre predecessor to the Patrick Mahomes. You know, you guys yeah. were really running RPOs 
because if they doubled Randy, what did you guys do? Yeah, we you gave the ball to Robert. Gave it to Robert. We were just and playing a little. Day, we were Robert playing the number count. against the light box. Mm-hmm. He was almost unstoppable. Yeah. And then when they loaded the box, you guys threw the ball out to Randy. You know, Randy was a, a rookie at that time, but it was just unbelievable as a football coach to watch how you guys did it. And you know, you also had a great kicker in Gary Anderson. Yeah, seventeen for the season. I don't think that's ever happened. Made no. all of his extra points and made all of his field goals. In the regular season. Yeah, in the regular season until we yes. got to the Atlanta game. Well, Randy had 17 touchdowns, which was unheard of that year, and <clears throat> that's his highest total until he went to the uh, Patriots in 07 when he had 23 touchdowns, which is really remarkable. So who would you see as number two, uh, Mike? Well, just around the same time, those 2,000 Rams. Mm. You know, they were, quote, the greatest show on, on turf. I know mm. everybody – remembers what they were able to do and you know this was a real special group especially the 2000 group from what i remember because they did it with two different quarterbacks Mm -hmm. Uh, kurt warner you know who's in the hall of fame he got hurt and trent green had to come in and trent did a you know did a great job but they were loaded as well on especially if they're very similar to the vikings in terms of marshall falk at the running you know at the running back position and then you had terry uh territory holt and isaac bruce were the guys there on the outside. And I think the thing that was unbelievable about the uh, Rams was they were playing with the 32nd-ranked defense yes. in football that season. That's true. So they had to go score points. And if they needed 50, they'd get, they'd get 50. If they needed uh, 37, somehow they'd get 37. And that was a, you know, for a couple of years, they were really, really good. And the thing that people don't realize, this was – 2000, and if you put Warner and Green statistics together, they passed for 54.92. Now we've had, you know, we've had some guys, some great guys, Dan Marino, go over 5,000, and yep. the way the games changed. But that was in 2000. Those two guys passed for almost 5,500 yards. Mm, that's a lot of, that's a lot of chucking. Speaking of Dan Marino, I, I think uh, you might be talking about him next. Do you, who do you have as number three? Well, I actually went back and forth, and I went between three and four. Right. And I, and I actually picked and put the Redskins up, the yeah. 83 Redskins, the old Hogs. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they, up till, you know, the Ravens came along and both broke their record, they had 541 points scored. Mm-hmm. And the thing I think about that Redskins offense was the Hogs up front mm-hmm. and the three tight ends. And what Joe Gibbs did, and I think it was transformational about how the game was being played mm-hmm. moving forward. Mm-hmm. Because at that point in time, there weren't many people running the one-back set, Mike, as That's you right. remember, right? Yep, two tight ends, and the H tight end. He they was made. able to get, in, you know, get into those one-back sets, and Joe Theismann was uh, the quarterback. He had the wide receivers, I think it was Monk and, uh, and Charlie Brown. And, you know, they had big John Riggins there at the, at the running back position, and they just pounded you, pounded you, and put those three tight ends. And being an old tight end, I know you've got to love uh, how that changed the game. It did. now yeah. the H-back, you know, has come from being a tight end as well. Yeah, 33.8 points a game back in uh, 1983. That's a lot of points any year. But that's a phenomenal amount of points back in 1983. I'm going to throw in two other teams just for conversation. The 
you and I talked about this a little bit off the air. 2007, New England Patriots, Randy Moss had 23 touchdowns. They broke. They actually, Mike, ended up breaking our scoring record. And then we spoke about this team, the 2013 Broncos, uh, Broncos under Peyton Manning. They came back, and they broke the record again off of New England. So I think right now I'd have to go back and look. I didn't research this. This is just off uh, – or for my uh, uh, being annoyed that we weren't number one in all-time scoring, I think now we're, we've got knocked down to number three. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yep. but those are two great. Those are two other great offenses. Well, I'm going to segue over to the defensive side because that is the side that you you cut your teeth on. And uh, why don't you go ahead and start with your number one team and your number two team, and then both of these teams I want to say are, are Super Bowl winners. Right. Uh, again, scoring points and keeping pe- people out of the end zone are the most important thing, and I don't think there's been a better defense than that 2000 uh, Raven defense. Everybody talks about how well we played and had to overcome some issues on the offensive side of the football, and it was led by Ray Lewis and Rod Woodson. Mm-hmm. Those two guys were really the cornerstone of the, of the defense. But that was such a talented group. You couldn't run the football on this group. No. Uh, 2.7 yards a carry, Mike. That's what you guys had. Yeah, 2.7, 2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we forced you into having to throw the, throw the football. And we were playing in some really, really uh, close games. I think we went and had three shutouts that season, if I recall. And I believe we went two games or three games without scoring an offensive touchdown. Yeah. And I think we won one of those games. So it was I think it was a great job by Brian that year in terms of keeping that team together because you know when mm-hmm. things don't go right on one side of the football it can mm-hmm. it can cause issues and we were able to overcome that and then really played lights out in the playoffs. Yeah. And we were a wild card team and we started to really do a great job of putting pressure on the quarterback and taking the ball away and we kind of ran through that and that I remember that Super Bowl game so vividly that 35 to 7 game uh, in which they ran a kickoff back for a touchdown and I believe this to this day we could have played 12 quarters and I don't think the Giants would have scored on our defense that night. Yeah that was a phenomenal. That was, that was yeah. a dominating group. Dominating group and a dominating as you said against the run and then really dominant in the playoffs. Go ahead and move on to your number two team and uh, talk about them a little bit. Well this this is a very good defense that everybody talks about and some think that they you know were the number one team. Right. A lot of people rate them and that's the Chicago Bears mm. uh, with the 46 defense and it was you know it was dominant but they played in a different a little different era than what everybody else played in you know they were so dominant and it started with the front seven up front right when you talk about guys and you played against the Mike so you yep. know Richard yep. Dent, Dan Hampton, yep. William Perry, Wilbur Marshall, Steve McMichael just to name a few, Otis yep. Wilson and Mike Singletary. 64 sacks. So, <laughs> Those guys, there's a lot of guys wearing yellow jackets in there. Yeah, yeah, there are. Yeah, yeah and they had yeah, and, 64 and, you know, sacks. Buddy Ryan was the defensive coordinator, yeah, yeah. and it was a great situation, I think, because Coach Ditka let Buddy do what he wanted to do, and so there was a lot of out-of-box thinking mm-hmm. that went on in those, you know, in, in putting that together, and you still see it today 
in the five down looks. You yeah. know, defensively, people are still running that that scheme, although it's against one back sets now. More and more teams uh, back then were running the two back sets, and I think the forty six defense had a lot to do with people going to one back sets. Yeah, I know, Mike. You probably had the game plan for them. And isn't that true? You guys had to figure out ways to get out of the, get them out of that loaded box, and all those guys having one on ones. Yeah, get them out of the loaded box and figure out who you're going to get help to. And, and uh, you know, we all started turning the line. I noticed in the 49ers Seahawks game earlier in that game when it looked like the 49ers were going to blow out the Seahawks on Monday night, they were covering up the guards. And for all the fans out there, when you cover up the guards, that's part of the. Uh, the 46 defense or the 5051 whatever everyone calls it something different what i saw the adjustment uh, the nice adjustment by mike solari the offensive line coach of the seahawks he started to turn the line and send either a tight end or a fullback to the end of the line and quicken up the throws for russell wilson and then you saw what happened seattle came back and ended up uh, eventually winning that great game monday night in overtime and then who was you going to say as number 3 michael Yeah, they, yeah, the 76? Yeah, the 76 Pittsburgh yeah. Steelers. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they dominated physically. Uh, and, again, they were doing something different as well. They went in and, and ran, the, you know, that 3-4 defense with the tilted uh, nose, nose tackle, and it was something new, and it caused problems for a lot of people. A lot of people thought it was a gimmick, but it really wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you had Mean Joe Green lining up in a tilted stance between the center and guard. And that man could create all kinds of issues. You know, Hall of Famer, maybe one of the greatest defensive linemen to ever play. But that was a that was a special unit as, as well, Mike. Uh, in terms of what they you know what they were able to do. And hey, you had Jack Lambert there at the second level, and he was one of the hardest playing uh, linebackers to ever play the game. Uh, you know they had you know they had a group that was tough to beat. I'm trying to remember. You had Jack Ham as the other linebacker. I think Jack Ham, yeah. Blunt. One of the things that I find interesting is all those Super Bowls they won right in that time. The '76 team was one of the ones that did not win the Super Bowl. But recently, I read an article where Jack Ham came out and said, of all the defenses and all those Super Bowl winning defenses, the '76 defense was the best defense. They went nine games, Mike, in that stretch of that season and only gave up 28 points in nine games. That's amazing. That's- that, that is. Uh, and it's funny, uh, of, the, of the three that we're talking about, only the Ravens actually won a, won a Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the Bears. Remember the 85 Bears? Right? Yes, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Well, the yes. funny thing on the offensive side, the teams you were talking about, uh, and even the teams I segued into, the New England and the Broncos and even the Redskins you talked about, and the Vikings, the only one that won the Super Bowl of those offensive teams you and I both spoke of were the Rams. The, Absolutely, the, yeah. That, uh, that's so, what is, so what does that tell you? Well, <laughs> it tells, I still think, Mike, our conversation, <laughs> you could take it, take it this way. Those great teams on the offense were really strong up front. So the offensive line was was important, but you still win with defense. You do. You it's do. so important, you know, that you got to keep your opponent outside, and that's a defensive guy speaking. But I, you got to have those guys yeah. on the defense that can create mayhem and havoc for the for the offensive players, 
and the coaches. Well, you know, I played for Chuck Knox, as you know, for a long, long time, and love him, and God rest his soul. And the thing that that I say though is, if what well, Chuck used, if they can't score, they, then you can't lose. I mean, so if you keep them from scoring, you just you just got to score one more point than than they get. You don't have to score. 45 and then they score 47 and you lose because you can't stop anybody and one of the teams that I'm looking at right now as I look through the games each week that is falling into that category are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a team that you have a little familiarity with they're scoring a heck of a lot of points but they're last in if I believe they're last in scoring defense if not last towards the bottom so their record is indicative of uh, you know of that not having the defense so but, yeah, you got to keep them out of the yeah, end zone, yeah. and more and more, if you can't stop them, you make you want to make them take a you want to make them take a lot of time. And I think that uh, a lot of you know a lot of teams right now are trending to giving up big plays, and I think that's the thing that's uh, that's happening. I think there's more and more explosive plays. And Mike, I know you yep. uh, have a, a great understanding of what it takes to win football games. And we always talked about it, whether we were in Atlanta. And I, I learned about it when I came and visited you guys in the Vikings mm-hmm. about how you had to win the explosive battle and, yes. and having more explosive plays than your uh, opponent. And what's happened to the defenses that aren't playing well, somehow, some way, they're not playing, you know, playing sound defense and giving up those big plays. One of the things I look at each week when I do my YouTube show and talk about the games I like is I look at turnover differential first every week. I look at scoring defense and scoring offense second. And then third, I look at turnover, excuse me, I look at explosive play differential and explosive plays created and explosive plays given up. So those are three top categories for me each week that I study the game. So, yeah, hey, Mike, hey, and you're right on. And yeah. I can remember when you know when when you were in Minnesota and we and I'd come up for uh, training camp. You would always always talk about those three main things that you've got to do. And it's not just what you're doing; it's what you're the other side of the ball is doing because it's the differentials yes. that make the big difference yeah. in, the, in the NFL. And more times than not, if you if you're losing those battles, you're not going to get the result that you want. I agree with that. I agree yeah. with that. And and man, it was great catching up. Great hearing your voice. What time are you fishing today? You fishing today? It's a little chilly here today. <laughs> we, got, <laughs> we got up here on the hill. We got a couple inches of snow, but oh. it's supposed to get up to fifty tomorrow. So I'll be on the on the river tomorrow. Well, that sounds like a plan. We have fog so bad right now. I can't see outside my deck. It's uh, so we get a lot of fog in the morning here in Seattle. I, I live down on the K Center, as I've told the fans before. But uh, hey, listen, man, thanks for catching up. Uh, give my regards to the girls. Let's do this again. We'll do it, Mike. Back at you too with you and your family. Okay. All right, man. Talk to you later. Okay. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Odds and Ends with Mike Tice. Uh, thanks to my guest, C.J. Ham, fullback of the Minnesota Vikings and former head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. That's Mike Smith. Great story talking about the old days. Have a great week. Hope your teams are winning teams, and you can send your thoughts and ideas and tweet us at Odds and Ends Pod. That's O-D-D-S, the letter N, E-N-D-S Pod. Have a great weekend.